1: If you're like me and you like to go camping, hiking, hunting, um, just be prepared in general, then uh, I recommend you check out Squatch Survival Gear. Their packs are 100% made in America. Each component on the packs are American-made. It's a veteran-owned company out of Texas. Um, It's my buddy, Chris. He started this out of personal experience um, in his military service, he, he fashioned these packs, you know, off of packs that he used, that he had to modify to make them something that, uh, is more, more convenient, easier to carry, less of a load on your body and the, let the pack do the work. They're amazing. I own two. I have the, uh, the Rock Ape and the Mothman pack. I love them. They're the best bags I've ever had in my life. These bags are bomb-proof. I've never seen anything like it. Plus, they're comfortable. When I have them on, I can carry around. I can hike with 25, 30 pounds, and it it doesn't strain my body. The pack does the work. Um, you have to see them for yourself. So go to SquatchSurvivalGear.com to check them out. If you decide to, to purchase one of these bags, use my promo code. It's 23Bump this year. Okay? It's twenty three, B U M P. Use that promo code and it'll save you fifteen percent site wide. These these are packs of all sizes. You know, if you want something you know small everyday carry, or if you want some kind of a go bag, like a I'm not coming home bag, he's got them. Check them out. SquatchSurvivalGear.com. Promo code twenty three bump. Dear believers, I got a great episode for you today. Um, this time I'm not doing a pre-intro. I have her right in front of me. I have Vicky Joy back on the show um to talk about Asclepius and uh the the old Greek god of healing and, and medicine and how he may still be um a figure to worry about today. So I'll shut up and I'll let Vicky Joy get all in
0: it. Please. So you, <laughs> yeah, you you picked the topic most likely to get us booted off of YouTube. Good for you. <laughs> Again, yeah. All right. Yeah, right. Been there myself. Yeah. Oh, yeah. The Asclepias uh, and the Asclepions, the great healing temples of antiquity. Uh, a lot of people think that those things just lie in ruins and it was a thing of the past, but you would be surprised how much of the whispers of that cult are still alive and thriving today
1: well i want to hear everything you have about it and if you see me looking down it's because i'm looking at the book to okay see, you know <laughs> where we're out you know might pull a question from or anything like that um you have my attention
0: absolutely so, absolutely so who
1: who is this greek god of healing could you tell me about you know, just like a, a, a Cliff's Notes version, at least, of who he is or who he's supposed to be.
0: Yep, absolutely. So Asclepius, I believe, started out as a Roman god, but they also called him Asclepius. They just spelled it a little bit differently. And then the Greeks took on uh, him as one of, of their faves as well. So Asclepius is the uh, serpent god of healing. Hmm. And he was a demigod. He His father was a god, Apollo, and he was born of a human woman. And we know biblically from Genesis 6 that if you have a angel father and a human mother you've got a nephilim there and Mm -hmm. so uh asclepius was a a nephilim and he it was most recognized or the the symbol of of asclepius is this is going to be familiar to a lot of people it was a a staff with a single serpent entwined up it and so the serpent god of healing we see his symbol on all of our ambulances and medical facilities and our prescription pads and uh, all things medical it is to to this day that the symbol of the american medical association is the rod of asclepius the nephilim serpent god of healing and we'll go into more detail about how he actually uh, obtained his healing powers but one thing that i think will be a particular note to the listeners is That if you go to the Hippocratic Oath, not the Hippocratic, but the Hippocratic Oath, which (laughs) is (laughs) now we lose some of this because it's been translated into English and it's been modernized. But if you go to the original Greek Hippocratic Oath, and this is important because with all of the issues we have today with euthanasia and abortion, you have a lot of people decrying it's against the Hippocratic Oath to do no harm. And my argument is that nobody is actually breaking that oath because the very first sentence in the Greek is, I swear by the god Apollo and his son Asclepius and Hygieia and Pansia uh, and all of the other gods in the pantheon that I will do my best to follow in the footsteps of my mentors and all they have taught me. Now that's just loose, a loose translation, but they are in essence, promising via oath to follow in the footsteps of asclepius and i would argue that they are keeping that oath
1: mm, it's like a like a blood oath, like a covenant
0: they're making a covenant it's an actual covenant they're signing their name to it yes. and um interestingly uh, one of the sort of caveats of the ancient asclepions, which were at their prime in the first and second century, so these were around in Jesus's day, and even some of the stories that we hear where he was wandering around on the Sabbath, healing people that were in these healing pools. Remember the man who couldn't get to the healing pool. Yeah. I'm pretty, I'm pretty sure that he was at an asclepion there and he was trying to get into one of these healing pools outside of the Asclepion. and i just think it's really fascinating that on the sabbath when you weren't supposed to be healing people and jesus was supposed to be doing you know sabbath stuff that he was wa- he was wandering around in front of the healing temples of these serpent gods and he was going right into the belly of the beast doing his ministry there on, on the devil's ground. So, but what's mm. interesting about these asclepions is there was a caveat. There were two kinds of patients. They were unwilling to help. So your insurance was going to get turned down if you were one of these two people and you could not enter an Esclepion if you were elderly or pregnant so the unborn and the elderly were equally as unimportant unvalued and so when you look at some of the things that are going on today with the elderly with euthanasia with abortion with um female reproductive rights this is nothing new this this is nothing new <clears throat> the the devaluing of of unborn babies pregnant women and the elderly go all the way back in time into antiquity and it was actually birthed with with this god asclepius the serpent god of healing had no regard for the elderly the pregnant the the unborn the weak things of the world and and that's and that's why jesus was such a contrast to that culture because the weak things of the world were despised and he chose the weak things of the world. And so this is one of the areas in which we see that dichotomy playing out.
1: Wow. The people that that need the help the most are the ones that weren't allowed to be there. Now, this Asclepion, or Asclepius, uh, the serpent god of healing, okay, was his appearance as a serpent like, was no. he like a Nakash or was he more
0: like? Well, that, that's interesting. The way he's portrayed in marble is that he was just a man. Now okay. God only knows because even the depictions that we have of the Pharaohs, even though they are depicted as being taller than man and having the elongated skulls and things like that, for the most part, we look at those, those hieroglyphs and things of Egyptians and they appear to us to look human, but, mm-hmm. uh, God only knows what they really looked like and, and how much of that was, you know, being changed through time. So uh, all of the depictions of Asclepius in Marvel is that he's just a man, but he's holding this pole, with the serpent up it. Um, but if he if he truly was uh, the progeny of some sort of watcher or fallen angel and, and Apollo was pretty high up there on yeah. on the the chain of, of the gods, and so, uh, being that he had a a human mother, he he would have been a demigod or a nephilim. and i'm I'm fairly certain. I don't know if if by the first century, this was still true, but in the original antediluvian in um iterations of those nephilim, they they absolutely probably would not have looked human at all. And not just their size.
1: Wow. Wow, and the staff, um, it's not to be confused with the staff that was raised in the desert, right? I it's actually escaping me right now. Start to, start
0: yeah. Um, yeah, so there's a couple different staffs. I don't know if this is the one you're talking about. There's a caduceus or a caduceus or the something Kiddusius. like that. Yeah, the caduceus, okay. Yeah. That that is actually a pole with wings and there's two serpents two going men. up it. Okay, and that's the rod of Hermes, and it's it's equally as occultic and has all sorts of symbology, and and it goes into um the original secret societies and Freemasonry, and it goes into uh with the Caduceus, it's got um because Hermes, and what I'm gonna maybe pronounce this wrong, but the Herm- Hermes dist- Tristagistus or <laughs> Trimestigistus is a tongue twister. So um, all all of that stuff is, is tied into Hermes, and so the the rod of Asclepius is something different than that. Um, I, I wouldn't suggest painting either one of them on the side of your car and driving around in it, but <laughs> right. but you know, but yeah, the 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 rod of Asclepius was was actually the symbol of the the serpent god of healing specifically
1: wow that's i guess it's really like my wife is a nurse and a devout christian so there's that that contrast um I, I know it's no it's not in their awareness that they are making this oath um how how does one reconcile that um is that a legalistic because we know how you know how the The spiritual realm works you know works it's a very legalistic thing so are they are people in the medical field maybe just to err on the side of caution should they denounce should they should they go through the procedure of breaking that contract you know Mm. um i don't want to step on anybody's toes i mean i I know my wife ain't out here worshiping snake gods but
0: (laughs) right right well (laughs) and 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 that's the difference. There's a difference between consciously devoting yourself to a God and worshiping, worshiping it and being duped into signing something that means something completely different than what you're being told it means and and so with legalities and because the spirit realm is so legalistic you know there's all these people out there that think that christians and the bible and christianity is legalistic and uh it can be taken in that direction but i tell you there is nothing more legalistic in the entire universe than the spirit realm because they know those loopholes and so if they can get you via a trick via seduction, via deception. We know from Adam and Eve, the very first time Adam, the very first uh, account we have of a human being um, exercising their free will and rebelling against God, it was a trick. They were tricked into it. Something more cunning than them came along. And so for those that think, well, that's not Fair, that's not what I meant, and you hear this a lot with people that celebrate pagan holidays. That's not what it means to me, or with people who who choose to do things differently than the, the scriptures say. Well, that's not what it means to me. And when right. I signed the Hippocratic oath, that's not what it means to me. And the fact of the matter is, that can take you so far with God, because God is all knowing and He's merciful and He's kind and He knows what we mean and He He knows that we are but dust. He knows that we're ignorant, but He also says that my people perish. For lack of knowledge, and so our lack of knowledge can, in essence, lead to our spiritual, physical, emotional demise. And so, with with these sort of things, I'm a better safe than sorry. And I do a lot of work in my in my other life with uh, um, with through the black, and we we deal with satanic ritual abuse and um, uh, occult crime and the occult and Satanism. We and we delve deep into that to try to expose that. And so just knowing what I know from that realm of study, anytime you have contractually bound yourself to something that is evil, you are not going to be doing yourself a disservice to to undo that. And it can just be a simple prayer. You can just declare out loud, um, Father, I repent. I do not know. I did not know what I was consenting to. I was I I did it in ignorance. Please forgive me. And Jesus, I you know, we plead your blood over this contract and pray that you would break it in the name of Jesus. It, it doesn't take big, huge, spectacular things. Right. Um, if this is something someone feels convicted on and they they want to take it further and they want to bring it to their supervisor and say, hey, I I, I didn't know what I was signing. And, and is there anything that I can do? I, I would feel free to pursue that. I, I would love to hear from someone in the medical profession who has perhaps done that because I would love going forward to be able to give people good counsel on how legally they can maybe uh, 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 undo that contract. Because a, as we know from even salvation, everything in in the scripture is covenantal. It's everything, our, our entire salvation, the cross, the blood sacrifice, the forgiveness of sins, it's all contractual, it's all covenant, it's all um tied into uh betrothal covenants and we know from betrothal like marriage is a covenant and and so much of what's going on in the old testament the design of the tabernacle with its various chambers the the thresholds the um the 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 Torah and the the multiple copies of the Torah both beings all of this actually mimics Semitic betrothal ceremonies and betrothal um traditions and so it's a covenant and so i i go into detail in in the book in chapter four actually where it talks about threshold covenants and astral vampires talking about how one of the schemes of this whole entire sleep paralysis phenomenon is that they are taking you they're they're abducting you at a point where you aren't coherent you're asleep, you're in a different state of consciousness. When you wake up, you're not looking for or alarmed at any missing time because you went to bed and you expect there to be missing time. You aren't, a lot of people don't put a lot of thought into their dreams. They don't consider it, they don't remember them. If they do remember it, they just think it was a dream. So they're, they're, they're actually bringing us in an altered state of consciousness in many cases into an alternate dimension into an astral dream realm and if you don't remember it it's even better but a lot of times what they're doing in in these scenarios is they are putting you into rituals or ceremonies and you are making oaths and Mm. covenants with them and so you wake up and you have no memory of it or you just think it's a dream and you say well that's not fair but this This ties all into the vampire lore of the spirit realm with they have to have invitation. And if you won't, if you won't grant them invitation in your sane, right conscious mind while you're awake, they will seek other ways in which to get that, even if they have to do it by deception. So Hmm. uh, all, all of this revolves around contracts, oaths, covenants. And I cover my bases every morning. I don't make a big deal out of it. It's not the same prayer every day. I don't go on for hours. But every morning when I wake up, I say, Father in heaven, if I engaged in any contracts, covenants, or oaths in my dream world that I have no memory of, I pray in the name of Jesus that your blood would cover that and that it would break that oath. And I base this loosely on a passage in Numbers that is it's actually specifically talking about married women and unmarried daughters. It doesn't, doesn't make an allowance for men or divorced women. But in that portion of the Torah, if a if a woman makes a vow to God, to Yahweh, if she makes a vow to God it, on the day that her husband or father hears of it, he can disavow her of, of what she vowed. And so it's it's not an apples to apples, because when we're in the astral realm, we're not making vows to God. We're being duped into making covenants with his enemies. But the the principle to me seems to stick that if God is our father and if Jesus is, in essence, our bridegroom, who's coming back to take us to the wedding feast of the Lamb, then right. God, the father and God, the son have the ability on the day that they hear of it to disavow us of any vow that we made. And so I just cover my bases with that because I've had enough experiences that I do remember where I wake up and think there was something a little more to that dream. There was something very ritualistic about that. Um, if there was th- there were symbols in that dream. Um, in dreams where they're trying to get me to ingest things, like if I'm if I like broke bread with something in, in a dream, these are all lost to us. But in antiquity. Uh, bread, the breaking of bread together was a salt covenant and a salt covenant was as binding as a blood covenant because blood and salt are both things that we have to have for life, they their life. And so when it says weird things in scripture, like don't even break bread with a non-believer, that doesn't mean you're going to burn in hell. If you go to Taco Bell with your coworker, who's not a Christian, what it means is when you're breaking bread with someone, you're actually covenanting with that person. You're exchanging salt it you're you're actually you're entering into a blood covenant with that person which says I will be loyal to you, I will give my life up for you and we're not supposed to equally unequally yoke ourselves with people or covenant with people that that don't serve the same God that we do. And so there are so many opportunities Bo there are hundreds of opportunities on any given day for a Christian to get tricked into. Invitation because there is so much of antiquity that has been lost that we think is no longer relevant, and we don't understand that the spirit realm is still operating under the same rule book as they were a thousand years ago. We're the ones that think that that's all in the past, and we've got new rules, and we're modern and we're civilized, but they're still operating under the original rule book, and they're banking on the fact that we're not.
1: Yeah, that's why it pays to know this stuff, it pays to learn. To be aware, um, staying down the rabbit hole of dreams. Okay. Yes. Um. I, I pulled a post-it note that I had in my planner. Um. I, I took notes about a dream I had a few weeks ago, and I I brought it up here with me to to mention to you because I had seen you had a uh, an exchange with somebody on Facebook about their dream. They posted what you said about it. Whatever it just got me thinking, well, maybe I should I should just mention this during because it's very interesting. Um, I had even forgot what we were going to talk about. <laughs> 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 but I remember, but it, it works in, it, it all ties in together. So here it is. I mean, well, my sticky note. I dreamt it was a few nights ago or a few weeks ago, two snakes. They were they were coiled up together like intertwined together one was orange and one was black um which those are our school colors i kind of just let that you know let that go Mm. but these snakes um they weren't normal looking their heads were almost like foxes um like they had big snouts with teeth Um, their eyes were way more aware than the serpent's eyes you know they were they looked like the head of a little fox and they had hair like on the back of their head and in a crisscross pattern all the way down their body. They were beautiful. Um, but just hair woven in with the scales all the way down their body. And here's the thing. And I even wrote it on my notes. They were laying on the threshold of a door. Um, <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> yeah.
0: Wow. And when
1: I looked at them, I thought um, the word chimera come to my mind because they Uh, were like, you know, I was going to say that. Yeah.
0: I was, I was going to say that. So Uh, when you said that the hair was woven in with the scales, you you made this sort of a a picture. Did it actually look like a, like a double helix or like a DNA? Was it making that double helix
1: uh, pattern or was it just, okay. Yeah. I had not thought about that at all. Yes. Yeah.
0: Interesting. There's so much rich symbology in that between, um, the fox and the serpent are both animals that are synonymous with the types of animals that are deceptive. You know, even when you go into fairy tales, when, when there's, there's animals, like sometimes it's a wolf and, and, and things like that, but the, the fox, I mean, we even have that synonymous with if someone's foxy, it, it means, you know, they're, they're a slick they're salesman slang. kind of a thing. Yeah. So it, it's almost like, it's almost like it's emphasizing the slyness of this because it's a serpent and a Fox. So it's almost like, you know, in grammar, you, you can write a word or you can bold the word to emphasize and to, to emphasize it. And visually there's different ways of emphasizing things. And it seems like it's, the, the symbology is doubling up on the fact that these things on the threshold are are like, don't miss the point that these are deceptive. And the threshold is exactly where they have to be to gain their entrance. It's where they're looking for the invitation. And the DNA stuff, I mean, we know where all this is headed. We, all of this stuff is headed towards singularity and towards transhumanism and even even this entire thing um going on now with um gender fluidity and the transgender stuff i i have a lot of angst for this movement and maybe not for the reasons that you think because i work with a lot of these people i i do work with agape first ministries out of minnesota and um these people are being exploited and the the government, these these organizations, these five hundred one c threes, all of this money and grant money, none of these people give a rip about transgender people. Right? What they're what they're doing, I think, it, it's the it's the philosophical, you know, Overton's window when they know that they can't they we cannot get society to accept something this radical or this horrible. So we're going to get them by inches. It's kind of like the same thing as like, you know, um, eating the elephant one bite at a time kind of a thing. And so they have to open the Overton window a little bit at a time, a little bit at a time, which is why we accept things today in 2023 that our grandparents in the 1950s would have like stormed the castle for. right? Right. So what they're doing, I think is they're getting the culture to a point where we become so overly inundated, and there is such a cacophony of confusion and hurt feelings and lawsuits around misgendering people that to avoid confusion, there we're gonna we're gonna like have a law where everybody's just an it. You don't have any choice anymore. You're not he, she. You're not g. You're not j. You're not they. You. Everybody is it. At the, mm. same t- at the same time as humans are being demoted down to its, and we're already seeing this, our technology is he and she. Siri, oh, uh, Siri, Siri, she's always auto-correcting me. She, really? Right. And I still slip up every now and then, but anytime I accidentally refer to my technology as he or she, I correct myself out loud and I say, no, no, It it's always auto-correcting me because I'm not going to start demoting humanity created in the image of God to it. And at the same time, take beast tech and start calling it he and she as if it's a person. And so I think where this is all headed is I think everything is headed towards this singularity, this human humanity, plus this H plus. And so because i know that that's the direction of where everything is going if you put a gun to my head and said you know explain to me the meaning of this dream you know on the spot it has all of the earmarks to me of of a, a prophetic word towards this is where we are headed they they are going to uh, through very sly deception and the distortion of the scriptures, convince us uh, that we are 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 flawed in the way that the designer made us, and they've got something better for us. You've got the DNA. They're at mm. the threshold. They want the invitation. Um, both of the of the animals represented are animals that we uh affiliate with animals that are tricky and sly so that would be my my guess on like a global scale now a lot of times when we dream it it can be something very personal um and and i i don't ever profess to be a dream interpreter so i'll leave that to daniel (laughs) But, (laughs) but 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 some really strong symbols um Uh, just a whole confluence of of very strong symbols coming together in one very short picture. That's very fascinating.
1: Yeah. It's, it stood out to me as one of those dreams that I didn't forget, but I wanted to note, um, see, that's what's weird. When I was, uh, several years ago and four years, I had a lot of snake dreams.
0: Hmm. Um,
1: but I had always heard that, that, you know, snakes mean you have an enemy. You know, that means some, somebody's after you or whatever. And I had for years, a lot of conflict in my life. And I had a lot of these snake dreams. And then several years ago, I'd say four, five years ago, close to that. I had this snake dream where it was like, it was moving about as fast as pouring concrete. You know, it was just like, just slow creeping it, it wasn't a challenge for me to get away or to, you know, to, to kill the snake or whatever. And then I heard a voice tell me, you won't dream of snakes anymore. You, you'll never dream of these again. And I was like, awesome. And then for a solid four or five years until just a few weeks ago, I never did. I never mm-hmm. had another snake dream. And then this particular weekend, I had two. I had a, uh, I dreamt about a snake, uh, a snake being underwater and having to fish it out you know so we could kill it and uh i don't know why we had to get it at all but and you know it's in my dreams i had to i had to get up out of the water then kill it and then sunday night i had a dream about this these these twin coiled up snakes so it's really weird and it just it stuck with me and perfect opportunity just now um to to get some kind of clarity on it. And I appreciate you taking the time to do that for me because
0: Oh, absolutely. You know, we all know the scripture that in the end times, like men will dream dreams and the young men and the old men, you know, there's 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 going to just be this uh influx of people dreaming dreams. And we get a lot of information in scripture about uh uh patriarchs who had dreams and they were real. So like when um when Solomon asked for wisdom, that was a dream. and there's you know daniel like many many but if you go into uh some of the apocryphal books as well jasher jubilees enoch um what the the apocrypha genesis book of giants when you get kind of like the fuller stories like the filled in version of, of some of these stories in genesis there is a lot more of uh jehovah communicating with his people through dreams than were even given in scripture and so When it says in that a mark, an earmark of the end times is going to be that we're going to have these dreams again, it really behooves us as believers to start paying attention to our dreams, not to the point where we're being obnoxious and every single thing, like every single day, everything in our dreams have to mean something, but it, it really would behoove us to pay closer attention to these dreams and what they could mean and, to kind of use a pop culture scenario, I don't know if any of you guys saw the movie Signs with Mel Gibson, the M. Night Shyamalan movie. I, <laughs> I, I'm i always quoting this as an example because uh, the whole kind of theme that runs through that movie is the kind of stupidity, the nonsensical last words of this woman before she died where she said, swing away, swing away, Meryl, swing away. And to the point where the priest, the pastor was, he was losing his faith in God because he felt that his last, the, the last words of his wife as life was draining from her should have had some sort of profound meaning and because it was so nonsensical he couldn't believe that there there was a god in charge of such a nonsensical ending and so then we find out you know spoiler alert for anyone who's watching 15 year old movies
1: <laughs> <laughs> best um, top 5 movie ever like it's it's in the top 5 for me I'm sorry. And
0: see, I I didn't get it like when I first saw it, and then I've I've had more and more and more of an appreciation for how genius it was through the years as I realized the applicability even to the end times and with the way God and the Holy Spirit works with us. Because as you all know, Swing Away, Merrill was the key moment um, that that saved them from all being killed by by these aliens that that broke into the house at the end because he saw the baseball bat and and even Merrill had redemption in that moment. The, every single member of the family, I don't I don't know about the boy, but the, the daughter and Merle and the Mel Gibson character all in that moment had vindication because um Merrill, who was like the dropout who failed and didn't ever become the sports hero, used that moment in time with with the failed bat to save his family and uh the mel gibson character realized that his wife's last words were actually of profound prophetic importance and the girl who had been saying that there was something wrong with the water was vindicated because there was oh, yeah. something wrong with the water like, like they found out that the water had something to do with the aliens and so um all of that to say that sometimes we have dreams like this and we say it was a snake mixed with a fox and it was on the threshold. And we can sit here in this moment now in, in our fallibility, and we can conclude with the limited knowledge that we have about what's going on. We can make some conclusions now as to what it means. But I think some of these dreams that stick with us, that we we can't let them go we know there's some meaning to it, and we're going around and we're asking everybody, and we're googling dream dictionaries, and we we can't, And I think a lot of Christians too uh, make the mistake of settling on an interpretation far too quickly because they want that closure,
1: right.
0: uh, or or they want that permission for what they're looking to 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 do. And I think in many cases, these dreams that we're dreaming now are swing away, Meryl types of predictions that they are not going to make sense to us until the moment when they do and instead of just a cool like oh that makes sense maybe that's what it means it's going to be a profound uh vindication for for us and and might even work towards the saving of ours and many lives and so uh look at joseph look how long he and his family had to wait to figure out that dream he had of the stars bowing down to him. God is not quick always to interpret what he shares with us. And so I just, I really just want to encourage believers out there, especially the ones that are really, really into dreams and dream interpretations and prophetic dreams. I a hundred percent believe in prophetic dreams. I don't think God ever stopped using that medium as a means to communicate with his people But if you wake up and within five minutes, you know what that dream means. hmm, uh, I'm not so sure about that. I think that we have gotten really good as a church at identifying which of our dreams are prophetic and spiritual. I think we have a long way to go in sober mindedly and vigilantly interpreting those dreams.
1: That's a good point. That's a very good point. Um, Yes. And yes, we do you know, when it's more than just a dream, you wake up, you you know, it, it it just resonates with your spirit differently. I've had, I've had another dream before it's been a year ago and uh, it kind of came to fruition. And uh, there's a guy in our church, he, he has dreams and he has visions and that's how he gets a lot of his word is from that. Uh, He's an older man in the church. And I told him, what this dream was about. And this one, it I was I was reading scripture, but I couldn't see what the scripture was. I just knew that it was out of the Bible. And I was surrounded by a lot of my students. And everybody was just all smiles and all happy and all this kind of stuff. And I woke up and I was like so upset because I couldn't get to see what was what I was reading. And, and that's what I was fixated on. Well, time goes on, and then eventually Larry comes back to me and he's like, I got a word for you. And he broke that down for me. Mm -hmm. And then eventually I found myself in this situation where I'm at the actual high school, which I know it's taboo in a lot of places or whatever. It's not that big of a deal where I live. Um, God is still very present, (laughs) thankfully. But I found myself in in the classroom reading scripture, and talking about the Lord with a bunch of students, you know, and I'm like, it was a very literal dream, like, this is exactly what's going on, and I had, uh, I helped lead a girl to the Lord, you know, and it was just so good, <laughs> you know, God, wow. God was so good,
0: uh, Wow, made me
1: happy. but yeah, it was the, it was one of those kind of instances, it was pretty literal, but I still didn't get it, because I I never thought that that kind of opportunity would even be there, you know, in your book, which I don't know if we said the title of yet. So if anybody's watching it's they only come out at night. Um. Yeah, it's so good. Uh, you, you talk, you got your, you know, obviously it's about, you know, sleep paralysis, sleep paralysis, uh, these shadow people, these entities, but on the line of dreams, and people getting visions and words and direction from Dream. You you cover that in here, talking about, um, on the negative side of things, H.P. Lovecraft, Blavatsky. Um, there was another one that came to my mind when I was reading it, and that was Stephen King. Mm. Um, they, they all claim that they get, they receive these stories more than come up with it on their own, right?
0: Yep. Yep, absolutely. And it's still going on today and it happens in, in the music business as well. Jim Morrison, obviously we know all about his spirit guide, right? Bo, um, yeah. so I don't know if you're familiar with or into Steve Vai, the uh, guitar player, but uh, he has got, well, I mean, he's extremely talented virtuoso guitar player. He started out working with Frank Zappa and now he does a lot of solo stuff. And most of his stuff is instrumental, but not not all of it. And yeah. Um, he has a song called for the love of God, and it is absolutely gorgeous. It's like otherworldly. There is just a melody to it. I'm I'm just hearing it in my head now and I'm getting goosebumps and I don't always react like that to beautiful music and things. But every time I hear this, I just, I want to weep. There's like this powerful melody in it. And I've loved this song for years. I mean, I remember listening to it when I was a kid and um Very recently, I wasn't looking for it, but there was this whole thing on where uh, someone asked him, how in the world did you get the inspiration for that song? And he he didn't use the exact words, but he basically was channeling it in the astral realm that was composed for him. And no wonder. And, you know, um, that's what's so scary about this astral realm is these angelic beings. Even if they're evil, they have a capacity and an appreciation for beauty, or at least they know what we find beautiful and they can manufacture it for us, right? So um, yeah, you've got the Blavatskys and you've got the Lovecrafts where they come back from the astral with horror and occult, but you also have people coming back with beautiful music and things that touch hearts and and then that's what's so This is why we have to know how to test the spirits. You know, it's interesting, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John were the last three books written because John was the youngest disciple and all the other ones were dead. And those were the books that he wrote before his passing. So 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John were written after the book of Revelation. So he he was writing the book of 1st John with all of the knowledge of the visions he saw on Patmos in his mind. And the last message John had for the people of God was watch out for all of these antichrists, watch out for all of these wolves in sheep's clothing. And he was, he was talking to believers about how to recognize the antichrists among them, the ones that were posing as the high priests and the, you know, the, the godly people. Right. And so what's, what's really frightening about where we are as a culture is even though we say that reason and logic and the scientific method is the is the highest thing by which all things must be measured, we really have actually become an extremely emotions-based culture where what we believe has far more to do with how we feel or how we interpret things. And so what's scary about all of this angelic realm stuff where you've got God and his angels trying to communicate with people in various ways, And then you've got the fallen angels communicating with people in various ways. If the only way we as human beings are able to test these spirits is through the emotion we felt as this encounter was occurring, we're going to be so far off course because there are tons of people that come back from the astral realm or channeling the Council of Eight or taking ayahuasca who talk about nothing but light, love, peace, joy, Um, the, uh, the, the meaning of life was explained to me. I've never felt such love. And then you've got pretty much every example in scripture of a human being interacting with an angel, a good angel, where the first thing out of the angel's mouth is fear not. And they're trembling and their knees are knocking and they're falling over and they're wetting their pants. And, you know, so, uh, what, what's really frightening to me about where we are at as a culture, we're, we're all. Whether you're religious or non-religious, we're a very spiritual culture now. Everybody's spiritual. And there's advantages to this. But the disadvantage is that the only way that believers and non-believers have to put their finger on the pulse and determine whether or not this entity that I just interacted with is good or bad or is for me or against me or is leading me into truth or leading me into error is how I feel felt during that encounter. And I'm telling you, if that's the only way you test a spirit, you are going to be light years off course in a very short amount of time. And so I really think that believers need to delve into First John and study that and really pray. And we as a church need to ask the Holy Spirit, how in our day and age and in our culture, how do we test these spirits you know it, it's an easy question to answer when i'm on shows where i know people are believers mm-hmm. it's a tricky question to answer when i'm on the shows with the new agers because the way we test the spirit and know whether they're from god is if it lines up with scripture and uh you tell that to someone who doesn't have any belief in the authority of scripture and how, how do they test the spirits so we need to to really answer this question and even the Christians are sort of getting into a, uh, uh, into dangerous waters with that as well. Because if the only way we can test the spirits to know whether they're of God or of the devil is comparing and contrasting it to scriptures, that assumes that we are very well versed in the scriptures. We know the scriptures and we are interpreting the scriptures correctly. We're not we, we don't have the ear tickling gospel. Um, so. Even the, even the counsel to test the spirits according to the word of God becomes extremely nuanced. And we have to be walking closely with the Lord. It, it's never been more important than now. If we aren't walking hand in hand with him and obeying his commandments and pursuing holiness and turning our back and despising the world, we are not even going to be able to test the spirits properly because we're not going to know the word of God. Right. It's not, it's not good enough to just go to church every Sunday and take your pastor's word for everything. And then say, Hey, I put in my 60 minutes this week. It, it's, we will not survive as a Christian race. If we continue in this blase fashion.
1: Yes, I agree with that a hundred percent. And I think that the zeal that, that, um, especially new Christians have is I'm seeing it. I feel like it's getting people into that danger zone like you're talking about um, with the deliverance movement. Um, you last time we talked, you were talking about how you got to be really careful. You know, if, if you don't tangle with it, unless you're sure of it, uh, unless you know, and it, if you're seeking it, you know, if you're seeking to be into a deliverance ministry more than you feel like you've been put into deliverance ministry, maybe it's not for you, but I'm seeing so much stuff lately that rubs me the wrong way. And I'm not going to call out, you know, deliverance ministers because at the end of the day, I don't know, you know, but I see a lot of things that, I feel like they need to be more careful with or that they're false prophets, I guess.
0: Mm-hmm. I mean. Oh yeah.
1: There there's a lot going on, especially on like avenues like TikTok and YouTube that they're getting this it's almost like a cult like following. Mm-hmm. Um but they're, you know, they're claiming to do it in the name of the Lord. So, where would you line up on, you know, how what, how would you advise people, as far as like testing that, um, the discernment there, um, if they're they're saying they're delivering these demons in the name of God. You know, I don't want to be like the uh, the blasphemous high priests you know, saying that Jesus was casting out demons and, you know, doing the work of Beelzebub. And, you know what I mean? I'm not trying to be those guys. But at the same time, I don't want to say these guys are doing the Lord's work when it just, some of this stuff just looks so far-fetched, so played out, so rehearsed, you know? Yeah. Um,
0: I think that the number one mark of a genuine person with a gift of deliverance of of the casting out of demons is compassion you have to understand that people that are legitimately possessed or oppressed by a demon or they're demonized these people are in torment they're being harassed they're being sleep deprived they're being frightened they're being scared their their lives are being destroyed and my goal in a deliverance scenario is to get that person set free as quickly as possible. And we know that it takes a word in the name of Jesus, get out. And uh, you know, Rust Dizdar used to say uh, only takes five minutes to cast a demon out. And so what, what's distressing to me about a lot of these deliverance ministries is um, this isn't entertainment. This isn't for show. This right. isn't for, hey, this is gonna be great content. Uh, these people, when when you look at all of the rules, like all the HIPAA rules and the rules in the medical industry and in in medicine and with our prescriptions and our diagnoses. And when you look at HR policies in the corporate world and you look at psychiatry and the, the doctor patient uh, confidentiality and everything yeah. that we do to make sure that nobody knows, you know, we got a hernia or we wet our bed or whatever. You know, there's so much respect and dignity given to the people that have these ailments. But you're going to take someone who's demonized, probably a targeted individual, probably being gang-stalked by the occult, having witches astral projecting into their lives, putting, ruining their lives. And you are going to put them on display and, and let every single person, you're going to let all 100,000 people that hit your YouTube channel see that this person has that ailment. Now, everywhere they go, every job they have, every neighborhood, oh, you're that weirdo on the YouTube video. There's no dignity for right. for these people. And um, some of it is just common sense, too. Uh, it makes zero sense to me if you know anything about demonology, why you would ever have a... Uh, deliverance session with anyone unnecessary in the room what you want thank you because if you've got a person who's demonized who can manifest at any moment who can get extremely violent at any moment and who when empowered by a demon can have superhuman strength if that's the way they choose to manifest they can spit they can growl they can punch you they can have your hair in a second you want the person doing the deliverance and you want two other people in the background with their yappers shut, praying out loud with their eyes open on that person. And you want prayers of protection over that person. The moment a disembodied spirit loses its vessel, the moment a demon is cast out of its vessel, the first thing it's going to do is find a new vessel. And yeah. if, you're a, if you're in a sanctuary with 200 people in various states of sin and unconfessed sin or not being saved or whatever and they're just there for the entertainment value uh that demon once it is successfully cast out has its choice of whoever it wants to jump into next it's like a a circus
1: yes that's exactly what i thought i thought you know are they are they directing this demon where to go um or is there like an audience of 300 people sitting there open and unwittingly a vessel just waiting to be inhabited? Um, Absolutely. And and that's on the cases where it's legitimate. I've seen things here lately and I I do have one particular minister in mind. I'm not going to say his name, um, but. Let me tell you, I liked one of his videos on Instagram and then I got a, a private message immediately. Uh, I got a word for you. I got a prayer for you. Uh why don't you just donate to this? Uh, <laughs> I was like, man, get out of here. <laughs> uh, yeah, but this it was little children that their parents are bringing to them. These kids look terrified and confused. And they're like, uh, I'll, t- I'll tell you what the video said and then you might even know who I'm talking about because it's a very popular video. It said, Uh, oh, this child was watching videos about mermaids and now she has minnows. What, yeah,
0: I'm like uh...
1: cussing at my phone,
0: <laughs> like, this yeah, be... yeah. Uh, part, part of me even just wonders if this is part of the grand scheme to to just make the demonic realm look so comical and farcical that no, I mean, we already have an entire church age now of people that don't think that the devil is an actual entity. And right. I think the last, the last Barner report, if you put together all the people um, that didn't believe in a literal devil or thought he was just a metaphor or, or somewhat agreed with that, it was a little over 60%. If you added up all the categories, so we already have a we have a church that doesn't even believe in the power of the devil. And then you've got all these videos of these clowns, you know, with, with their little circus shows. And if their goal is to make the existence of the demon world, you know, if their goal is to make that look foolish, they're doing a great job. They're succeeding at that.
1: Right. And how much does that help? the the demonic side if if nobody's worried about them if they think it's all a clown show
0: yeah yeah they got
1: free reign and there's no challenge anymore you know
0: yeah, I think it's doing absolutely. a lot more to
1: i it it, it it might just be a handful of these schemers you know but it feels like those are the ones getting all the attention
0: well it's very lucrative too yeah that's what I'm afraid of It's very lucrative.
1: Yeah. Um, So what advice would you give other than, you know, if it feels wrong, it's wrong. What other advice would you give to someone who is getting caught up in this? Because I I do know some some very young people who are like all in. And I I worry for them, but I don't want to discourage them or let them, you know, be that church hurt or whatever yeah um, uh, what word would you give to warn people about that there are these kind of people out there these wolves in sheep's clothing Mm. is there any scripture that i
0: i would ask them to redirect their zeal hone in the zeal so zeal is a biblical thing but when i think when i think of zeal i think of phineas who to stop the plague, put a spear through two people and and kill them because they were they were uh um what's the word i'm trying to think of they were dishonoring the the altar they were what's the word i'm trying to think of they they were desecrating That's i don't know right. why that took me so i don't know why that took me so long sorry folks i'm mm-hmm. getting old um they were desecrating the altar they were performing a pagan sex ritual on the altar of Mm. jehovah and phineas in his zeal for god put a spear through those two people because it was the only way he could think of to stop the blasphemy david had zeal and and we all think of david with you know um the the slingshot and cutting off goliath's head but where you really see his zeal is when he said who is this uncircumcised philistine that dares to you know speak against <laughs> the name of god so when when you think of zeal zeal isn't excitement and happiness and joy zeal isn't singing worship songs on the top of your lungs and raising your hands and clapping and shouting and dancing with tambourines that's joy okay right. and w- zeal is feelings of of deep Deep indignation against anything that comes up against the name or the word of God. And you don't care if you look like a fool. You don't care if you get kicked out of your church. You don't care if you lose your job. You don't care if your friends think you're a moron. You cannot hold it in. when, when, When something is coming against the truth of the word of God, you have to resist it. You cannot hold it back. And so our zeal isn't emotion it's not in being a part of something big it, the, our zeal isn't in the power that that we have in god in fact jesus even said that don't rejoice that the demons you have authority over the demons jesus said it don't rejoice that the demons you have authority over them rejoice yep. that your name is in the book of life and you've been saved that is where our zeal lies so That's right. redir- redirect your zeal your zeal should be fighting for the name and the purity and the glory and the holiness of the God you serve. Not in all of the fun little tricks we can do and all the, all of the smoke and mirrors, little parlor tricks we can do because we became a Christian.
1: All right. Fantastic. I, thank you for that. It, it's not in the, it's not in the fight. It's in the victory. All right.
0: Yeah, absolutely.
1: That, yeah. I, that, I appreciate that because It is. It is very appealing, and it's very trendy, Um, at least in the you know the. It's almost like a new age slash Christian combination of what's coming up. Um, I I had a guy email me privately the other day, uh, just issuing a warning to some things that he's heard on my show. Um, And he he did it very politely. And it was just like, "Hey, man, I heard so and so talking about such and such, you know." <laughs> and you, please proceed with caution. And I was like, "Why don't you just come on the show too, man?" <laughs> you, know? <laughs> you know, right? Let's just get everybody on. We'll all just talk. <laughs> but yeah, it, there's a there's a lot of, a lot of slippery slopes. I think you're right with First John. I think that would be a good thing. Maybe direct them to that too, let them, let them study it out for themselves. Mm-hmm. I think that's good um speaking of casting out demons though you have a list here in this wonderful book they only come out at night. there's a list of do of do nots <laughs> you, donuts yeah donuts you do you recall this <laughs> list of of do not dos uh,
0: which one I'm thinking of a couple
1: okay um Things to not do that may even escalate a spiritual attack. It's like, do not believe that SP is a mental illness or a form of narcolepsy. Mm. It'd be mm-hmm. sleep paralysis for those that don't have the book. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
0: My do not
1: rely on Google or the internet to steer you in the right direction. Oh, please amen do not bring in a psychic medium ghost hunter or exorcist i like that yeah um why not bring in an exorcist let me let me ask that
0: um because with first of all there's a difference between having sleep paralysis and being possessed Uh, very few people actually have a demon living inside of them who are controlling them. And typically if that's happening, we're talking about severe satanic ritual abuse survivors, people steeped in the occult, generational Satanism, people who have been involved in rituals, etc. Brides to Satan kind of rituals, things like that. Uh, There is such thing as being demonized or being oppressed or being harassed by demons. And the, the thing that, I don't like about the ritual of exorcism is it is a ritual. It, it It isn't based upon your particular story, your family line, the sins you have or haven't confessed or or the circumstances in your life, or if you've got witchcraft going on in your neighborhood, or if you torqued off some Wiccan at your your job place, they just come in and it's a standard one size fits all. And it's a ritual. We do this and then we do that and we do this. And I love the fact that Jesus never did anything the same way twice, whether he was healing someone or casting out a demon. Sometimes he'd say, go and dunk yourself in this river seven times. Sometimes he'd spit in the mud and, and put the mud on their face. Uh, he, he never did the same thing twice. And I think it was, uh, to, to show, Hey, I've got the power. I can do this however I want. But I think what he was trying to show, uh, humanity, because we are so ritualistic is that Mm -hmm. don't turn this into a ritual. Uh, this is not a one size fits all. It goes back to compassion. You, you have to treat each individual differently. Uh, if every single time. Uh, someone with liver cancer came into the doctor and he just did the same exact thing in the textbook for every single person, he would have casualties because some people need more of this and less of that. And some people need a diet, a special diet. And some people, you there's no one size fits all with, with, with the ex with, uh, with, with casting these things out. But as, as far as sleep paralysis goes, we cannot assume that the person that is experiencing this is demon possessed in Hmm. fact 999 times out of 100 it's not going to be the case at all
1: right right yeah i love that i could throw something random out of page 175 at you and you're like you know what that's a very surface question let me dig in real deep (laughs) pull out all the answers and uh and answer your Oof. question correctly at the same oh, time. That was, that was, I are awesome at this. Like, you're like
0: Oh man, thanks, Bob. You are you well. are
1: more you are are so much more than uh somebody who just wrote a book. You know what I mean? Like this mm. is your life, this is your passion, and it shows. Like it is. I am so blessed to have you on here in a second time at that. Thank you so much for this.
0: Oh, absolutely. Um, Thank you.
1: Uh, I absolutely love having you on there. We, we've we barely scratched the surface again. <laughs> uh, is there anything that you wanted to to get into that we haven't talked about at all today?
0: Oh man, it, there's so many directions that we could go. You know, I think I just want to kind of put a final punctuation mark on what we were talking about with um, deliverance and also with the exorcisms. Cause they kind of tie in. Yeah. We have reached some, complicated areas in modern society now and there are a lot of things that people are diagnosing as demonic that could be mental illness it could be uh the influence of pharmaceutical psychotropic legal or un or illegal or psych psychedelics It, it could be um it could be disassociative identity disorder. And let me tell you a little bit something about uh, DID, which used to be multiple personality disorder, MPD. Right. Cool. This is a legitimate thing. And we we are designed as human beings that when we are facing something absolutely horrific, we have the ability to disassociate in that moment. Now, we know from what we've learned from is Dar and what we know about MK Ultra. Uh, mind control programming is it's one thing if you're in a situation and you disassociate it's another thing if while in disassociation you are in the hands of monsters who know how to program those disassociated parts that have come forward and uh, a disassociated part or alter is not the same thing as a demon And if you're in a church or you're in a deliverance ministry or a counseling ministry, and you have someone come to you and you just automatically assume that every person that's acting strangely has a demon, you're going to do a lot of damage. If you are casting demons out of someone who's mentally ill or on psychotropic medication, who now takes on that label, uh, that could be a form of invitation. If a person is then constantly saying out loud that they're, they're possessed it can be a form of invitation and you can bring things on to that person that they never had to begin with. But with the altars, with people that have altered personal alter personalities, if you treat an altar like a demon and you start trying to cast out an altar, what you're actually gonna do is you're gonna bury that core personality even further and further down into the programming the defender alters, which are tough guys, they're going to come out and the, the out of protection for the core personality, the, the, the defender alters are going to come out. They're not demons. And another thing that's going to happen is a lot of times the alters that are willing to come forward and talk are the child alters because they're young and they're naive and they're curious. And uh, when you're dealing with a child alter and you start trying to address them as if they're an evil demon that needs to be cast out. You're actually terrifying those altars and you're, you're, you're creating a worse, a a worse case of dysfunction in that system. And if, if you are in deliverance ministry, you had better study every single thing you can get your hands on about DID and Alters and splits and you need to be studying everything russ disdar ever put out on shatterthedarkness.net uh if you do not know the difference between someone who's demonized and someone who has been split through trauma you are going to destroy those people this, mm. this is a dangerous game this is this is a dangerous game. This doesn't just mean you go out and get a a pretty white suit and a blue bow tie and you know set up yourself in front of church and start screaming at people. This is serious business, and th- these demons have had thousands, if not tens of thousands of years to figure out how to dupe really stupid human beings. And with yeah. all of the militarized and the quantum tech out there, and the mind control programs, and the the shadow government operations, they have. They have learned how to disguise themselves in such a way that you don't even know when you are and are not dealing with a demon, when you're dealing with an altar, when you're dealing with someone with a mental illness. If you are not highly educated in all of these matters, and if you do not have a a gift where you know that the Holy Spirit is speaking to you and not some Kundalini spirit or some uh, self appointed label of, I have this gift. A lot of people, I'm a prophet. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I have the gift of distinguishing spirits. That's great. But if someone other than you has never noticed this or picked up on it or said it, uh, I would I would try to get a second opinion. Uh, because that's just another part of this war, too. Satan loves to get people with misplaced zeal and eat them for lunch because they don't know what they're doing.
1: Yes. Yes. That, that's very important um thank you for that too Yeah, the fact that some things you know that you know mental illness does exist (laughs) you know yeah
0: Yeah.
1: that's important you you said something just now and i have to ask about it too because i that's the second time i've heard it in like as many weeks please tell me what is a kundalini spirit oh what is that is it like something oh. out of yoga is it yes
0: yep okay so uh the kundalini is the uncoiling serpent that that it it's at the coccyx which is a uh, part way down there on the very bottom of your spine and yoga and various tantric things and a lot of things in in that movement is to uh awaken The kundalini spirit, which is the third eye. But what happens is how does the third eye get opened? You activate it in the coccyx and it awakens the serpent that uncoils. And when the serpent uncoils and shoots up to your third eye, it's, it's, it's the awakening. It's Mm. the ascension. You're now a a higher vibrational being, Uh, but that kundalini serpent has made its way into many, many Christian churches And is operating as a false Holy Spirit. So a lot of the things that these people are saying is the Holy Spirit is this Kundalini serpent, this Kundalini entity imitating our concept of what we think the Holy Spirit is. And this is, again, why it's so important to get our doctrine right. Because if we don't fully understand biblically and theologically who this Holy Spirit is, We aren't going to recognize it when the fake one shows up. And this is a vast topic that we don't have time to open. But if you study the Judaistic view and interpretation of the ruach, which is the the Hebrew word for spirit, uh, it's fundamentally different from the Christian idea. And if you you study all the verses in scripture that talk about the seven spirits of God, and there's dozens of them, I, I think. I did a list of them the other day. There's at least 19 of them that I know of. So a lot of people know about the one in Revelation where John goes up and he sees the throne and he sees the the Lamb seated on the throne, and then he sees the basically the menorah, which the the menorah is the emblem of the seven spirits of God which sit, sit, sit before the throne. And so, how do we square the fact that the Bible repeatedly tells us that there's seven spirits that sit before God, and i'm I'm just thinking I, I believe in the Holy Spirit. Don't hear me saying that I don't believe in the Trinity. But what I'm saying is I think that our modern Christian concept of the Holy Spirit is perhaps flawed. and I think that has made room for why so many churches in modern times have have received this false Kundalini Holy Spirit because the the Kundalini Holy Spirit is willing to reproduce exactly our interpretation of who we think the holy spirit is Mm -hmm. and i think if we knew truly what these seven spirits of god that stand before the throne and the fact that israel understood this which is why they put the menorah in the temple and why the menorah is their symbol and the menorah is sacred to them uh this this menorah isn't just a candlestick it is it is a metaphorical representation of the seven spirits that stand before the throne of god looking at at Jehovah's in all of his holiness, the the purest holy of holies there is. And so I I think if we truly understood what that meant, we would completely reject this Kundalini false holy spirit that's showing up in a lot of Christian churches now, because we would know that it in no way represents the way the spirit of God is represented in scripture. So Mm -hmm. With all that said, I know that's a mouthful, and it's a totally different topic, but just for any Christian listening, I I am a Trinitarian. I believe in the Trinity. I'm not saying I don't believe in the Holy Spirit, but I'm saying that our faulty understanding of Him has paved the way for receiving Holy Spirits that look the way we think He's supposed to look.
1: Fantastic. Fantastic. And I, I'm going to have to dig in on this one, because that... Is it a spirit? Is it an entity that lays dormant in every person? Do we invite this thing in? Um, will there be a part three?
0: <laughs> Next time on The Bump. <laughs>
1: That's right. <laughs> hey, thank you again for coming on. You're awesome. You're a wealth of knowledge that I don't think I, we will ever get to the bottom of. But
0: Oh, thank uh, you, Bo. I love. I love being on The Bump. I hope I can come back.
1: Absolutely. Please do. Anytime. They only come out at night. I got my, my copy off of LA Marzulli's website. Um, We want to tell people real quick where to get it at. And then I'll let you go for a few hours before you have your next show.
0: (laughs) Absolutely. Thanks, Bo. They only come out at night exposing the dark weapon of sleep paralysis available exclusively on LA Just go into the store tab and scroll down a little bit. You can get me at VickyJoyanderson.com and you can find me on Instagram at author.
1: Perfect. Perfect. All right. Well, until next time, uh, have a good evening and God bless. You too. Uh, thanks. That's it for this week, guys. Thanks for listening. If you want more content, if you want to submit your own story to be on the show, If you want to listen to past episodes, or if you want to donate to the show, you can do all of that through thebumppodcast.com. So just go there, uh, explore the website, check it all out. If you want to sign up to be a member, it's super cheap. It's just $1.75 a week. You can cancel it anytime. Get in on uh, all the, the new, latest, and greatest stuff we have going on. All right, so again, thanks for listening. I love you. God bless. Who
0: is that yonder in the distance, Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. with his garment
1: white
0: and snow, with a voice
1: that sounds like thunder on his on the street? His appearance is like lightning, Bless you, thank you. Sitting high thank you.
0: upon thank
1: you. His throne, times 10,000, glory, glory, Hallelujah,
0: praise the Lamb
1: praise the Lord, 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 Holy Name Lord.
0: of Jesus, bless praise the Lord, oh my soul. Thank you, In that Lord. sea,
1: there's a river yeah. flowing from oh, God's home. Yeah. Where the tree <laughs> of life is blooming, oh. where Ooh. the land has yeah. not been yeah. told about yeah. this, no more tears. If you're personally ready to submit your life to God and accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior, the book of Romans, chapter 10, verse 9, says it really simply, that if you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. It's that simple, to be born again, to start a new life as a child of God, to join God's army, rise up against the evil forces that you know are all around you. You don't have to do it alone. I love you. Jesus loves you. And may God bless you. Brother, if you would I need you to pray So I